0: All the latest business news from WA, delivered daily. At Close of Business, news briefing.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the At Close of Business podcast. This is Simone Grogan with your Monday afternoon headlines. Western Australia's resources industry has smashed another annual record with weaker iron ore prices made up for by the state's flourishing lithium sector and soaring oil and gas prices. Department of Mines, Industry Regulation and Safety data released today revealed a new annual sales record for the state of $246 billion, a $15 billion increase on last year's record iron ore sales of 126 billion made for the leading contributor to the strong performance despite prices coming off from all-time highs during 2021 there are approximately 60 billion dollars worth of projects in the state currently under construction or committed it's been estimated sales of spodumene concentrate the mineral that contains lithium reached a record high of 163 billion dollars during the year making it wa's third most valuable commodity by sales prices for the period it marked a six percent increase on the amount recorded in 2021 lng was the the second strongest commodity by export value during 2022 with a value of 51 billion dollars 13 billion dollars more than a previous high in 2021 and in other news in her first update as chief executive Fortescue Metals boss Fiona Hick has told analysts she sees continued cost and labor pressures ahead as iron ore shipments for the company soften over the quarter formerly an executive at Woodside Energy Ms. Hick was named as chief executive of Fortescue's mining division in November 2022 replacing Elizabeth Gaines kicking off her first quarterly update with analysts this morning, Miss Hicks said she has spent a lot of time at Fortescue sites, observing what she said was excellent safety performance and a strong culture. She said the company had an extremely strong balance sheet with great growth prospects, but noted that she saw challenges ahead relating to industry-wide cost pressures and ongoing access to skills and talent. C1 costs for the company were 3% higher than the previous quarter. C1 costs were 3% higher than the previous quarter and are expected to creep up to over 18 US dollars per wet metric tonne. Fortescue shipped 46.3 million tonnes for the March quarter, contributing to a record nine months for the financial year so far of 143.1 million tonnes. Shipments were down 6% on the previous period. Meanwhile, in property news, a short-term tourist development in South Headland has cleared a planning hurdle and joins the list of projects aiming to provide more accommodation options in the Pilbara. The Regional Joint Development Assessment Panel unanimously approved Radhay Enterprises' proposal for a 51-room development on Throssell Road at its meeting today. The proposed development has been listed as a tourist development for short-term accommodation use, but would cater for the working population and visitors to the South Headland Town Centre. The project is estimated to cost $3.1 million. The tourist development comes after another South Headland project was approved earlier this year. In February, the JDAP approved Queensland-based developer Azura Lifestyle Living's proposal to build a nine-storey development on McClarty Boulevard. The project, dubbed Azura Square, has been estimated to cost $51 million. Meanwhile in Caratha, a $65 million apartment block on the corner of Sharp Avenue and Wellcome Road was endorsed by the local government in August. The city of Caratha proposed and approved its own approval for a seven- and four-storey mixed-use development comprising 82 apartments. A city council report said the apartment development would help to address the housing supply shortage in Caratha. PRD Real Estate is planning to extend Caratha's best western resort to cater for the city's growing workforce, which has been estimated to cost $150 million. The new planned developments come as more workers. Is expected to be delivered from the Pilbara region, particularly from the state's mining and resources sector. And that's all from me this afternoon. Coming up next on the podcast, Jordan Murray and Claire Tyrrell discuss the decade long and ongoing development of the Perth City Link project. Celebrate business leaders, entrepreneurs, and trailblazers with business news events. With our flagship event series, bespoke online events, webinars, book launches and gala awards programs, our forums showcase the policies and issues affecting Western Australia within industry and government. Our events are your platforms to engage and connect with the Western Australian business community. Visit businessnews.com.au forward slash events for more information.
0: Welcome back to our Close of Business. I'm Jordan Murray today, joined by senior journalist Claire Tyrrell. Claire, how are you this afternoon?
1: Good, thanks, Jordan.
0: In the latest edition of Business News, Claire, you have written about a development in Perth CBD, which I must admit I've become familiar with, not especially because I've been reporting on it frequently enough, but because I walk past it constantly, and that is the Perth City Link, which integrates elements of the Perth bus port, the Perth Central train station, and tries to connect Northbridge to Perth central CBD of Murray Street and Hay Street. Now, I find most peculiar about this development is it's been going on for many, many years. There's the stalled uh, development of buildings around the space as well as Yagan Square, which famously was built and then failed and is now being uh, recovered by the current state government. Now, I want to know a little bit about why you wanted to write about this and particularly beyond that, what is actually going on at Perth City Link? Because I think, as has been mentioned by many commentators before, it's a little bit of a white elephant at the moment.
2: Yeah, I've certainly heard that term before, Jordan, especially in reference to Yagan Square. Uh, the reason I wanted to write about it was because, as you'll see in the morning when you, when you walk past it in the afternoons, there's actually a lot happening out there now, finally. Uh, Far East Consortium, uh, one of the largest private landholders there, driving a lot of it and I'll talk about them in more depth a little bit later but arguably the, the most exciting aspect is uh, Edith Cowan University the the city campus that's finally getting out of the grounds and uh, you attended the groundbreaking ceremony I believe Jordan as part of your coverage uh, in February and that project's about 853 million blowing out from 695 odd million uh, which is uh you know, almost such a common story. It's not news anymore. Cost flow outs, but that's well underway and uh, on track to be finished late 2025. I believe they wanted students in there 2026, and a lot of people in the property industry talk about that as a almost a panacea for. A transformation in Perth, uh, hopefully kind of helping combat the antisocial behaviour that occurs in a lot of the vacant spaces around that end of Perth, and that King Street end, and hopefully leading to a boost in the residential population also, but it's a lot more complicated than that. So, you know, I spoke to ECU themselves, they're not, you know, not that this is particularly necessarily their job, but they're not building a, uh, a student housing kind of component as part of their project so they'll be relying on private operators to do that and I digress the reason I wanted to talk about it is because there's really is a lot happening and you know it's all, it was all underpinned by the train station and, and busport, the sinking of that which kind of occurred between I think believe in the Colin Barnett government I think and I think I believe it was between 2012 and 2016 a lot of that a lot of that work occurred and I remember you know as a, as a teenager coming into the city the busport was in a in a different spot and yeah, the works on Rose Street as well have been pretty um, controversial, uh, important but controversial, slow, and spoke to the city of Perth about that. And I just wanted to kind of tie it all together as the Marks described it in their, in their podcast on Friday.
0: It is a bit disappointing to walk through the uh, City Link at the moment. As you mentioned, their antisocial behaviour is rife. Uh, particularly there's a police presence pretty much every day that you walk through it, and I don't think that that's what anybody wants. And I think for anyone who is looking to develop uh, apartments or commercial properties around that area, they would like to see uh, less of that. They would like to see the buildings going up sooner rather than later. And as you said before, you've spoken to Far East Consortium for this article. uh, As one of the biggest uh, private developers in that precinct, what are they saying and what's going on with their developments?
2: Yeah, I spoke to Laura Ainsworth who heads up their development division in WA. They're a huge company based in or headquartered in Hong Kong with a huge presence here in, in WA. People recognise the Ritz-Carlton and the the Towers developments in Elizabeth Quay which they developed and I spoke to Laura about, couldn't actually fit this in the article itself, but the similarities between or the differences between working in Elizabeth Quay as opposed to Yagan Square. She did draw some similarities Uh, between them but said that they're they are pretty different areas Uh, so I guess that the the commonality is that they're both drawing that northwest link that everybody talks about uh, uh, in the CBD at the moment it's kind of east west structured it's already changing with the advent of Elizabeth Quay and we've just seen that Brookfield are finally uh, building one of their big developments there after they finished one the Esplanade where Chevron's going And, yeah, I just can't help but draw similarities between the precincts, but I think Perth City Link's a lot more complex, to be honest. So Far East are the single largest private landholder in Perth City Link. They own five lots, and at the moment, Far East is building Perth Hub, which is an apartment development, and they've got the Dorset Hotel, which is going to be built shortly, behind that, which is a luxury hotel, and they've got a few other lots in there. In March, they received a DA for a 21-storey tower on Lot 9, which it anticipates to start within coming years. It's also lodged an application to develop a 23-storey mixed-use residential tower on Lot 4 which it's hoping to get approval on later this year. I'm not sure whether those designs have been completely finalised. Uh, a lot of people talk about lot four as a complicated lot, and when you look at it, it's, it's an L shape, which is, I mean, it might be easier than a triangle, but it looks quite difficult to develop. I don't know if it's just the shape, though. It, it's also, it, it requires a lot of complicated engineering because it sits on top of the, the bus port itself. So, yeah, engineers would, would probably delight in this, in this development. There's a lot. Stuff that goes on behind the scenes in order for people to build on top of a bus port. Uh, so, Laura also spoke to me about Far East Consortium's 15-story office tower dubbed King Street Campus on Lot 10, and said that that was also in the uh, in the future works. It's 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 not always easy to decide on start times for these developments for these uh, developers because it requires you know the market conditions to be kind of to line up and to get pre-commitment and in, in the case of uh, of residential developments pre-sales and we've seen in one of their towers that they you know the the one that they're building right now the apartment tower in in Perth City Link that they they delayed that I think it was meant to start in 2019-ish but the introduction of a foreign buyer surcharge kind of put the spanner in the works and they you know they were quoted in a story with the property council saying that this is deterring investment in in multi-residential projects in Perth
0: strong words there let's talk about Yagan Square now uh, obviously as we got out before white elephant seems to be one of the terms that's thrown around frequently when we talk about Yagan Square it's a bit disappointing because obviously it was envisaged as this hospitality precinct which hasn't really made good in the end I think there's only two. Uh, bars that are now operating out of that precinct. Um, I understand that the gentleman behind the Beaufort in Leaderville and the Old Synagogue in Fremantle are redeveloping the site. Uh, you spoke to them as well, I believe. What did they have to say?
2: I did, yeah. I spoke to the guys at Nocturnal, Jordan. So Ross Drennan and his uh, business partner, Drew Flanagan, and they told me about how their you know, you, you can see it underway now. We we wrote about it when they won the tender. Uh, they're developing a ten million dollar food and beverage precinct, and we talked about cost blowouts earlier. I think when I initially reported that, it was about eight point four million, and and when I went out there and, and spoke to them, they said, oh, you know, it's a it's a moving feast, but call it about ten. So we'll see how that how that comes out in the wash. Uh, however, the state government is playing a, a huge role in in funding that development and also the entire precinct uh it's it's difficult to to find figures on what they have they spent there initially but it's there's there's a lot of capital outlay and not to mention the fact that they've now had a they've now committed to a 12 million dollar rescue package for Yeagan square because they've you know they've they've kind of rolled over and said okay this hasn't really worked I, i believe market hall had you know close to a dozen retailers hospitality operators walk out within the first year of, of the project and a lot of the reasons that people say that occurred was that it wasn't particularly inviting it was more structured as a, as a thoroughfare and that's what Nocturnal says they want to change they want to open out the space to the public and invite them to come in. So they're building a couple of bars, a playground and, you know, emphasis on um, indoor and outdoor spaces, a restaurant as well. Uh, I think that should be open next summer. So it's exciting.
0: Indeed it is and I look forward to dining there once it is open because I have enjoyed their other venues. Now, just quickly, there are uh, multiple other uh, developers in the area which have some land uh, there and they have some interest there and they might be building something, we don't know yet. Uh, you had a quick look towards the back end of your article on this uh, on this topic. What else can we expect to happen in Perth City Link in the near future based on the people who hold an interest in the land there? Well,
2: there's a big question mark over the King Square precinct or part of it anyway, which belongs within the Perth City link. I couldn't help but notice uh, a couple of lots went on the market recently, lots four and five in King Square, and they're actually owned by Seven Entertainment, which is uh, in turn owned by Mr Kerry Stokes. And there's approval in place there for, you know, 40... 6,000 square metres of office and, uh, you know, a twin tower apartment development. So these aren't insignificant. And when you open the magazine, you can see a a render done up by Development WA, uh, which kind of, uh, you know, portrays what the area would look like if all these DAs got up. And and theirs is is the biggest one. It's it's, it's massive. Uh, And those development applications are in place or they're valid until, you know, for another year or two uh so arguably someone could buy it and and build that on there uh you know far east also uh, major players they've got another couple of developments which i talked about in the past that they've got to finish off uh development wa have lots 11 12 and 18 and i think they're still kind of working out what to do with those they'll work out you know the time when the market's right to kind of divide them up and sell them off uh yeah, I think uh, Yagin Square will, will transform it and Edith Cowan University in particular. It's, it's really a project that a lot of people have been talking about for a number of years.
0: To read more on this one, head online now to businessnews.com.au or pick up the latest edition of Business News of which Ian Weisenberg of Bridgewest Perth Farmer and Brett Alderson of Nova Sinner grace the cover. In the meantime, Claire, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. The latest business news delivered daily. Subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. For all the latest business news, visit businessnews.com.au.